Do you want to have impact and purpose without disrupting your life or leaving your day job? Podcasting may be the perfect fit for you, your experience, and your voice. Sign up for my upcoming free course where you will learn how to start podcasting using your unique voice, create a platform in four weeks, get access to resources, and more. Go to www.disruptingbalance.com slash podu. That's P-O-D-U to sign up now. Hello and welcome to the Disrupting Balance podcast with Hanifa Barnes. It's me, I'm your host, a multicultural mama, wife, and leader. And here is where we amplify the stories of multicultural women who are unraveling from tradition to make the switch in work, well-being, and winning. I made the switch. Former professional actor turned lawyer turned education executive, and I'm not done yet. Join in on the conversation and learn how you can unravel from your stuff to make the switch, disrupt balance, and win. Today's guest is Dr. Yuona Thiessen, and she is not your average statistician. She is a Caribbean-born and raised woman who has a knack for biochemistry and blazing trails. Upon immigrating to the United States in her teens and eventually entering college, Yuona supported herself through her studies and would have to leave school to work and save money before returning. She even taught English in Korea to fund her academic pursuits. The linear path was farthest from her experiences, as Yuona spent three years in a PhD program before realizing that she wanted to change course. And that she did, eventually setting the stage to be the go-to person in statistical analysis. Dr. Yuona Thiessen is definitely blazing trails. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Disrupting Balance podcast. Today in the guest chair, we have none other than Yuona Thiessen. How are you, Yuona? I am doing great. Great start to the 2021. <laughs> yes, yes, it is. And I'm so excited for our conversation because you are a scientist. Yes. And I just love to hear about women of color in the sciences. So this discussion is going to be amazing. So let's jump right in and tell us what is your story? Yes, my story. Um, so uh, it started in Trinidad and Tobago, which is where I was born and uh, grew up until um, uh, till late teens when I moved to the U.S. to attend college. And um, not having any family here in the U.S., it was kind of a of a you know a challenging time for me. So I moved from states and changed schools and all that kind of stuff. But I don't regret any of it because it was I learned it from every phase of my journey. But um, after completing my undergraduate in biochemistry at Oakwood University, um, I you know worked uh, in various fields, medical technology. Ended up in New York. Then I decided I wanted to go, oh, and then I was in Ohio and I wanted to go back to grad school. So I, um, I got accepted into a neuroscience PhD program at Wright State University in Dayton, Ohio. And after completing almost three years of the program, I was, you know, all but dissertation, I realized that I didn't want to do this kind of work, which involved a lot of, um, um, working with 
animals. And so I, I thought, you know what, I need to, to make a change because if I complete this degree, you know, this PhD, this is what I'm going to be doing. And, and while I was enrolled in this PhD program, right, so there was a lot of research um, and a lot of data uh, analysis, statistical analysis, quantitative analysis um, that we were doing, you know, my lab and, and my colleagues as well. And so I really enjoyed that part of it. I really enjoyed the data analysis. And, and so, um, I, and I also uh, realized that uh, it came rather easily for me, whereas uh, a lot of my colleagues were struggling. And so um, I would offer to help them and, um, you know, kind of, uh, get, get guide them as far as uh, their data analysis was concerned. And, and before you know it, I kind of became like the quote unquote resident ex- expert in the field in my, in my department. And then it kind of spread out towards then. And I was really enjoying it. And, I, and so I thought, you know what, I think this is what I want to do. And so I actually um, was getting lots of requests from others to, to help them with their data analysis for their dissertation research. And um, you, you know, it became, uh, I was getting, I, at this point I was, I had actually stopped my, 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 uh, dissertation, uh, pro, pro process. And I was now working as a statistician and, you know, doing consulting work and stuff. And so while I was doing that, I thought, you know, I really want to finish my PhD, but I don't know, I'm not sure what. And so I explored various options and then, um, uh, I saw the the epidemiology program, and they had a, a an emphasis in biostatistics, and so I I pursued that, and and so that was what my 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 PhD ultimately ended up being in, and so um, you know while I was completing my PhD, and afterwards I continued working in the field, um, you know getting more experience, more exposure, um, taking different courses online and, and elsewhere, wherever I could to really, um, you know, at one point, uh, I was also, uh, teaching assistant for other graduate students as far as, um, statistics is concerned. And so I really, um, my, you know, really honed my skills in that area. And I was actually really enjoying it a lot. And then I realized that it, uh, involved a lot of, um, uh, programming and coding. So I actually learned how to do that, you know, coding in Python and, and um, the the R languages and others, and so I kept doing that and getting better and better and getting bigger and m- more clientele and mm-hmm. so on. And so you know now I I have a, you know a, a reputably established business where um, other uh, researchers and PhD students and even um, academic researchers would reach out to me and seek my services for that. And so. You know, I've really kind of sunk my feet now into this whole area of data science, and I'm looking, you know, to really expand in this 2021 to get into the whole area of machine learning and, um, you know, just kind of establish myself as as an expert and, and as, as a go-to person in that. And so I'm really enjoying that and looking forward to, to doing some more of that. So, yeah, Wow. That's that's a full story you have there. So yeah. let's rewind just a bit because okay. um, my first thought when I hear it is, how did you even think about being interested in um, your initial course of study in biochemistry, right? So my thought, though, is what I've learned in my own experiences is that 
um, women who are who are multicultural from certain cultures, especially their parents really push them toward either science or engineering or law. Did you find growing up that you were um, really pushed in those areas or influenced to go into those areas? Tell me yes, about how absolutely. you came about finding that track. Yeah, that you know, because what happens in 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 our culture and others, you know, when once you have you show an aptitude to you know um, any kind of <laughs> of the sciences or anything related. Um, so they, you know, they start saying, oh yeah, you're going to go to medical school or, you know, mm -hmm. something. And so that kind of, st they started making the, dropping those suggestions into mm -hmm. my consciousness. And so before you know it, I thought I wanted to be a doctor. <laughs> and so, yeah, so that was why I, um, I pursued biochemistry as my undergraduate, um, studies. Uh, but, you know, because of, it, you know, when once I came here, and it took such a long time for me to actually even graduate from my with my undergraduate degree, I thought, oh my goodness, going to medical school ugh, that might be even longer. Mm -hmm. But fortunately for me, and even still to this day, I love school. I love learning. I, I love um, academia. I just love the whole idea, the challenge of it. So um, that's why I still continue, I, you know, went to graduate school and then, you know, completed my PhD and stuff. Yeah, mm -hmm. but definitely I was influenced. <laughs> but what I, I like about your, your journey is it's not status quo, right? Because right. a lot of people would assume that to be where you are and to have the knowledge base and to understand what you understand and to have, to be on these particular tracks, you followed a very traditional path and you did this, 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 and this particular sequence, but that is not the case. In fact, when we taught, you said you taught English in Korea. So where did that fit in your journey and why did you make that decision? Yes. Well, as, as I explained, you know, go, when in undergraduate, I struggled with finances, as you can imagine as an, uh -huh. as an immigrant student. So I would work and then save and then go to school until the money ran out and then work again. And so I kind of did that for a while. And then one year, um, it was my uh, somewhere between my sophomore and junior year, I ran out of funds and, you know, the somebody on campus presented the idea of this, um, you know, uh, going abroad to teach, teach English. And I thought, OK, what, you know, I, you know, that sounds cool. And, you know, the money was good. You were going to get you were going to get a good stipend and um, all your expenses would be taken care of so I could save all my money. Um, but what's funny is like, I, you know, when I called home to Trinidad to tell my mom that I'm going to be leaving the U.S. to go to Korea, <laughs> you mm -hmm. know, I was thousands of miles from miles from home. And now I was going to go even further away from home. She she was like, well, but, I, you know, she always kind of knew me as the adventurous one. So she was like, OK. <laughs> but, yeah. So how was how were the cultural differences for you? I mean, because you had gone from your home country to the U.S. and then to Korea. Mm -hmm. So what was that adjustment like? Oh, I, I loved Korea. Korea was awesome. It was so different. I mean, there were so many things that was like, that, you know, was really striking to me. I remember, um, you know, my first uh, experiences there where everybody, um, whenever they greeted each other in, you know, when they first approached or even when they're leaving, they bow. And that was like, Wow, you know, everybody did that. So much so that 
I was watching the news in Korea and I, I didn't understand anything, but at the, I was just kind of sitting with the family and that I, my host family, and they were watching the news. And at the end of the news, the newscasters, you know, they said their good nights in Korean and then they bowed. And I thought, wow, even on TV where <laughs> they can't even see the audience, they bow. So, you know, the, there were lots of experiences like that, but um, I learned so much about, um, you know, about myself, about, you know, the, Korean culture in general. Um, I, I, you know, they gave me an appreciation for family, and they have a, they have a strong sense of uh, of community that's different from the Western culture. You know, mm-hmm, it, mm-hmm. it's not as individualized. And um, you know, they have. I learned. You know, I, I, I visited a lot of Buddhist temples, and I ate lots of great Korean food, and um, I even learned to speak the language somewhat. Probably mm-hmm. forgotten most of it by now. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, it just kind of gave me an exposure and an appreciation. And I, you know, I am so glad that I, I, I had that experience. Yeah. And so in thinking about the non-traditional path, you talked originally in your response to your what is your story about these different adjustments you made along the way, along the way. One being, you know, I don't know if I want to pursue this particular path anymore. Or one being, I think I want to study something different. How was that decision process for you? Did you find that you were weighing, you know, the opinions and considerations of family or loved ones in making these decisions? Or were you pretty resolute in your decision to say, I'm just going to do this instead? No, that it didn't happen like that. As you can imagine, there were a lot, I, it, there was a lot of uh, struggle, you know, internally for me because, you know, here I was, I was accepted into this very competitive, very prestigious um, PhD program, um, you know, f- focusing on neuroscience, uh, and it sounded so impressive. And there I was thinking, I can't do this. And so I struggled. Mm-hmm. I, in, in fact, I took time off to kind of decide whether I wanted to really quit or, you know, just you know, kind of struggle through it because I, I was really, um, you know, I, I, there were a lot of things going on. There was one, you know, the, the imposter syndrome was part of it. It's like, am I not wanting to do this because I don't feel that I'm able to do this? Or, um, you know, there were so many issues that I was struggling with. Um, and then there was, you know, my personal life. I had some issues actually, there that kind of compounded everything. And so it was really a difficult decision. Um, Unfortunately, as probably would be expected, I didn't get support from my, my um, advisors and my committee members, you know, Mm -hmm. um, yeah, you you know why. (laughs) And, uh, but, you know, eventually I kind of had to make my own decision, you know, which was, um, yeah, that was a difficult time. But, you know, looking back, I'm glad that I did. I made the decision that I did. I don't regret it. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's the important piece is like getting to the other side and looking back and realizing, OK, all of this does make sense. It was mm-hmm. rough, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but it does make sense. Yes. And I, I think you touched on kind of where I want to go next. And, and that's being a woman of color in the sciences. Yes. And the rarity of that. Right. And your experiences as a result. Let's talk about that a bit. Yeah. So, um, you know, when I was uh, in that uh, PhD program at Wright State, I was 
um, I was the only black female, and I'm trying to think if there was a black male, so I might have been the only black student in in that in my cohort at least. Um, so so that made it a little difficult. Um, and you know there there are no professors that you look like you that you can talk to, you know, so mm-hmm. it was mm-hmm. very challenging. I mean, you know, there were, you know, like the chair of my department, I remember Dr. Alter, he was very, um, you know, understanding and very supportive. But in terms of my actual committee chair, <laughs> that was a whole nother story. So, so mm-hmm. that made it difficult. And then I, like, like I said, there was the imposter syndrome where you feel like, oh my goodness, who am I to think that I can do this? And there were no other students of color that I could talk to, you know, to get encouragement and kind of see them as, um, you know, as an example of what could be. Uh, yes. Yeah, so that, that made it very challenging, but, you know, here was the thing while I was going through that, I was now at the same time becoming this, uh, you know, developing this expertise in statistics. So Mm -hmm. that was like, you know, it was kind of a a dissonance, you know, (laughs) in like, I wasn't uh, matriculating to the program well, but I was Mm -hmm. doing well in this other area that kind of didn't make sense. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So, so yeah, that was challenging. And even when, um, you know, I, I started working with some of the other students, um, you know, helping and and consulting and and stuff, um, there was some kind of hesitation. I could tell because, you know, some students, um, they would be recommended to me by their colleagues. And so, you know, what's funny is that my name is Yuana Thiessen. People cannot figure out what race I am based on my name. <laughs> and That's a good thing so, sometimes. Right. So when they meet me, you could tell like I wasn't quite what they were expecting. So, you know, there's there's all those um, those issues that go on. Yeah. And, and to touch on kind of what you mentioned about none of the professors looking like you, it is. Mm-hmm. It, brings to mind my own journey into the sciences. Cause I think I mentioned to you, I was pre-med and undergrad yes, yes. and, um, and I just, I, I think there was a biochemistry class or something where I got a C mm-hmm. and for me in my household growing up, a C was like failure. Yeah. So when that happened, I said, okay, this is obviously not for me, but what you highlighted in, in our previous conversation was that, you know, we're not the only ones struggling, right? Everybody's struggling, but you know, we think something's wrong with us and we just don't get it because we only experience our own struggle. So what was that like? How did you realize, or when did you learn that all students struggle? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that was, that was later on, you know, unfortunately I didn't realize that while I was going through it, it it took me several years later to understand that. And it's been a, a learning process, um, uh, along the way, because while I was going through it, I really like I, you know, I, I I keep using the term imposter syndrome. I had a bad case of that, really mm-hmm. bad case. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, I was black, I was female, I was um, an immigrant, and you know, there were just all these issues, right? And you know, coming from the Caribbean, where I was. Uh, star student, right? I, I was yeah. top of my class, always, always top of my class, right? So I come, you know, I was like a, a, a big fish in the small pond, as you as you say. So mm-hmm. I come to the big pond now, and so I'm no longer the big fish. So all of that had me questioning my ability 
um, to to be able to uh, you know excel in in these programs. And I I I didn't have anyone to talk to about this. So again, like like I said, I didn't realize that I was not the only one going through these struggles. And I learned later on, like just recently, that almost everybody de- suffers with that imposter syndrome to some extent. You know, even people of the majority <laughs> culture. Exactly. You know, exactly. I learned that it's actually quite common. I didn't know that then. So that really made it challenging. But now that I know that, and and I'll tell you one of the things that made it um kind of more evident to me i I, after teaching and taing and and helping out i got to see uh the covers were removed the veils were (laughs) open kind of thing right and i saw the people who i thought were so um exceptional really were just like me you know and so that really helped me to understand that sometimes people can give off the appearance that everything's okay and that they're doing well but they're not and so they won't let you know about their struggles but they have they do struggle they have them yeah Yeah. definitely definitely and so let's just say if I meet you and we're sitting and having a conversation and I say so what do you do how do you explain what you do currently? Like, what does that look like for a lay person? Okay. Yeah, that's always the challenge, right? So I say that I'm a data scientist and people are like, yeah, so, but, you know, what does that mean? What do you do? And so then I go on to say that I actually do um, statistical analysis on quantitative and qualitative data. And I, by the time I say statistical, I've lost them. <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and because I even like I said in my teaching and and and, and um you know even pro, pro, you know teaching classrooms and then one on one so many people have so many major fears and phobias when it comes to math and so statistics is like even worse you know and so they they really just kind of shut down. It's like, oh, no, no. But I explained to them that I, I take data, you know, any kind of data. It could be financial data or it could be um, health data, bio data. And, and I analyze the data to look for, uh, to answer questions, to look for patterns, to come up with ideas and solutions to help, uh, you know, individuals and companies understand uh, the, the, the impact that their product or um, their, their outreach or their program is having in terms of the results and the, and the research and the data that they're getting. So I will take the data and uh, you know, and I say, you know, you remember how you would find the average of something, you know, back mm-hmm. in school. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I find the average and the standard deviation. And, you know, those are that's the, the descriptive statistics. And then I would use uh, inferential statistics to answer certain questions like, did this treatment have the effect of lowering the cholesterol for this group? you know, relative to the group, the control that didn't have um, the treatment or the drugs or or whatever. So that's the kind of stuff that I do. So do you do anything in relation to regression? Yes, 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 yes. Well, 
Yes, exactly. Yeah. So, um, regression analysis, I, I do use that a lot. So that is usually used to, uh, model the relationship between two variables. For example, um, if I, uh, let's say I think that, um, you know, men in general earn more than women. So here we have the variables, gender, male or female. And then the other variable is, uh, the, the earnings, the income, whatever the monies are. And so I would, um, uh, conduct the analysis and get a regression uh, equation or a regression line to see so if the there is a, if the line has an angle to it that means that there is a regression relationship mm. if the line is just straight means there is no relationship between gender well in this case it's just two variables so it would probably just be um, a comparison of, of the two um, the two groups and looking at the average for both groups but if there were more than two variables um, or, or another a quantitative variable like age or so, then I can do a regression on that. Yes. Wow. That's so interesting. It is fascinating. I know. I mean, I touched on it very, very um, lightly when I was in business school. And when okay. I took yes. Yes. Was it statistics? Yes. I think it was statistics. Now mm-hmm. I can't remember. Yeah. I do. I do help a lot of business clients with, um, their, yeah, their which we met. Right, that's right, exactly. Yes. <laughs> so, I mean, I ended up with a B plus, and you know, I thought, you know what, this is good enough because that course kicked my butt. You I know. know, I hear that all the time. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I, I know people. Uh, you know, people have. Uh, what do you call it? Uh, 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 what is it called? Post-traumatic stress syndrome yes. when it comes to statistics. Yes. Yes. <laughs> so anytime in any of my current roles, when people talk analytics, I'm like, yeah, go to the expert. I don't want to touch that. You just yes. give me the narrative and tell right, me what it right, is. Right. Yes. Yes. You know, but it, it is a pretty qualified skill set. Like it's not something you can just do haphazardly. Right. And in taking the course, I realize that because I pride myself on being able to like study and do something, you know, mm-hmm. I can study right. it, I can do it, but, um, statistics and, and the fields or the work related or around that is not something you can just do haphazardly. You really have to have a certain knowledge and practice base. That's it. That's it. That's what I try to tell my students. Cause they always say, Oh my goodness, this is so difficult. Whatever. How can you do this? I don't understand. I, and I said, listen, I was once where you were, you know, statistics yep. was new to me at one time. And I was mm-hmm. like, what in the world are they talking about? But, um, you know, first, because I, I actually liked it, which does help. <laughs> yeah. I was able to be persistent with it, but then I practiced a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot. And, and the other thing that helped was teaching. You know, when you teach a subject, you get to look at it from every side and angle and every possible, you know, so after a while it becomes like the back of your hand. And so that's what it is for me, but it's just a matter of putting in the hours, which anyone can do, I think. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, Definitely, definitely. And so 
What's interesting is uh, I want to share with the listeners is how we actually crossed paths. Mm -hmm. We were both in this Cornell Women's Entrepreneurship Certificate Program. Yes. Which, as you know, is an asynchronous learning structure that allows you to take these courses and do these assignments over a period of, I think, two weeks per module. Right. And, you know, the goal getting this women's entrepreneurship certificate. So let's talk about why you pursue that. I know you talked about having your business and, and hoping to expand and grow, but let's talk more about why you wanted to get this certificate particularly and how you think it will help um, your business. Yeah. yeah, that was, that was so eye opening for me. And, um, you know, you probably kind of had a similar experience because here's the thing, just like um, when I was in grad school, there were no people that looked like me to kind of mentor mm -hmm. me and help me. It's the same thing with this whole entrepreneurship journey, right? Um, you know, I don't know anybody who's doing what I do in terms of yes. being independent, you know? Yes. Um, and and so I, I was just kind of winging it, right? My business kind of started like, you know, grassroots and it grew like... Um, so when it comes to the the, the real um, the nitty gritty of business, um, you know, I I I was totally uninformed. So that was such an eye opening um, venture for me. I I, I, I learned so much about um, you know the the, the course kind of just kind of touched on a lot of the things that we should be familiar mm -hmm. with and get, mm -hmm. gave us the resources to to mm -hmm. be able to. Um, but just some of like, for example, some of the legal aspects of being a business owner, I, I had no clue of mm -hmm. what that entailed. So, mm -hmm. yeah, that was really nice. And, and you know, what was nice, too, um, was that they were able to help us realize that some of the struggles we have as female um, business owners, that they're, they're kind they're common um, and that, you know, there are ways to, to deal with those and to handle those. And, um, you know, there are some minuses and pluses, you know, there's some, mm -hmm. um, strengths that we bring as female, uh, business owners that, um, we should capitalize on. And then as far as the minuses are concerned, there are resources that we can, um, get access to, to get the help that we need. So that course was amazingly eye opening. I mean, I saved all my notes and all the files and I'm yes. definitely going to be going back over them and, and, you know, kind of filling in the gaps where necessary, as far as my own business is concerned. Yeah, yeah, definitely a good idea. It was very eye-opening for me as well. And so just kind of, you know, extending that um, discussion, I want to talk about this application development, because I know you said that's kind of like next for you is what you're thinking or what you're working on in your spare yeah. time and kind of where yeah. you want to take things. Right. So what would that app be? And how is that development process going for you? How are you doing that? Yes. Yeah, so um, for my dissertation research, I actually um, developed a an algorithm for detecting uh, the risk of heart disease based on um, health data. So I have this algorithm and I want to take that algorithm and convert it into an app. So an algorithm is basically a formula. So, you know, you put in all the variables and you get a, 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 a you know, a result, a likelihood, a, an odds ratio. So depending on, so you put in things like your age, your gender, your cholesterol level, your um, blood sugar, your uh, 
blood pressure and all these variables and it gives it prints out a result and so you can tell if your risk of heart disease is high or low so i developed this based on data that i had collected from um this was a uh, I, not I. I didn't collect it. It was secondary data to me. It was um, uh, the American Heart Association uh, data set, and so I developed this this uh, formula. Actually, there is a formula already, but for my research, I actually um, uh, 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 modulated the, the formula somewhat. So, so now I have a, a different formula, <laughs> and I and I can use that formula and put it into. Uh, an app, uh, a software a application that can then um, uh, give to, to users, you know, and they can put in their information and get some measure of their risk for heart disease, essentially. Wow. Oh my gosh. Yes. So yeah. I'm sure the fact that you, as you say, modulated existing formulas, mm -hmm. you would, this information is, uh, extremely uh, confidential. Like, do you have folks sign an NDA? How do you protect your formula? Right. So, so the folks don't have access to my formula. Okay. Okay. Um, but uh, the, the information that they will be providing would be um, possibly uh, private information. So my goal is to have this app be dispensed either through the cardiologist or the hospital or, you know, some I see. entity like that. And they will be responsible for um, keeping the patient's data. I don't want that responsibility. <laughs> yes. That, cause that's a huge responsibility. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Wow. So, so my, my goal is to develop the app and do what is called, um, I think it's called whitelisting. <laughs> what is that? I forgot the term. Uh -huh. But this is where you actually sell your application to, or you rent it to these institutions, and, and really, they, uh, they use it. Yeah, interesting. Wow, mm -hmm. very very interesting. Wow. So yeah, I'm I'm wishing you well on that. I'm I, I have no doubt that it would come about, especially for you who stuck to your guns and finishing up this PhD in spite of all of kind of the detours you had to take yes. along your journey from when you came here. So I'm sure that app will be, you know, fully functioning at some point. Yes. yes. Um, where can folks connect with you, find you, or learn more about what you do? So, um, of course, uh, LinkedIn is probably the best place to reach me. Uh, my LinkedIn profile, you own a Thiessen. Um, also, I have a website, datasciencedoctor.org. <laughs> Um, uh, which I actually, uh, I don't know what the term is when you make your company an LLC, but I did that as a result of our Cornell course. <laughs> Very good. Yes, yes, yes. So, I mean, I had the website before, but now I am actually, uh, an LLC. So, but yeah, so the website is where, um, I, you can, in, um, reach out to me, but, uh, you know, I'm also on social media and so, you know, Facebook and Twitter and, uh, yeah, those are the platforms. Great. I'll make sure to include all of that in the show notes for those of you who are interested in connecting with Yuona. I am Dr. Yuona J. Thiessen, and I am disrupting balance by daring to take up space in the high-tech 
data science industry as a Black female. Thank you for listening to the Disrupting Balance podcast with Hanifa Barnes. Hey, make sure you subscribe, rate, and review. And if you're not following me yet, find me at Disrupting Balance on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, and LinkedIn. And guess what? I'm on Clubhouse at Hanifa Barnes ESQ. And if you want free tools or any and all things Disrupting Balance, check out the website, www.disruptingbalance.com. Talk soon.